I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Well, ding dong, the witch is dead and diversity and inclusion and representation has been restored to the land greater than ever before. Isn't it amazing that we can suddenly, like overnight, feel good about ourselves as a progressive, inclusive country, the multicultural society that we all were taught that Canada should be? No, no, that doesn't happen overnight, and it, it hasn't necessarily happened at all. According to my guest today, September Anderson, we have not really even begun to deal with race in Canada, not in government and not in the Canadian media. She is a freelance journalist, a writer, a public intellectual, a constant and compelling figure on social media, and September Anderson will join me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ryan Eustace, Kiel Borsma, Marin Prentice, Joel Hart, Rex Wang, Brandy Sistel, Scott Lilliord, Derek, and Ben Millen. Ben, why did you decide to be awesome? If I'm being completely honest about it, you had me with interviewing Michael Enright over bourbon while I told you everything that was wrong with you. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by our sponsors, CampTech. CampTech provides workshops for grown-ups who want to do computers better. These are half to full day workshops where you will learn digital skills, practical stuff that you can use that'll help you get a job. You'll learn about stuff like Google Analytics, like online retail, like Photoshop. And you know what? If you want to learn how to do that stuff. There are many, many ways you can do so. There are books, there are online videos, corporate training seminars, night school at technical colleges. All of that is out there, but Camp Tech is different because with Camp Tech, you are putting in a half day, a three hour session, a full day session where you go to a shared workspace and you get intensive hands-on training from really wonderful instructors and you meet really interesting people. And since the last time you heard from Camp Tech on this show, they have expanded. And I asked Camp Tech's founder, Avery Swartz, to tell me about that. Camp Tech is now in four cities across the country. Which cities? We're in Toronto, Ottawa, Waterloo, and now Vancouver as well. You promised that that was happening and it's happened. I did it. I promised it. I did it. I'm like honest Ed. What do you have to teach people in Waterloo? Don't they all know everything about technology? Ah, uh, that's the thing. Camp Tech is not targeted at uh current nerds, like future nerds, basically. Right. You indoctrinate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. In a friendly way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we target people that are beginners, people that want to learn more about technology, people that need technology for their jobs. We see a lot of people that work in the marketing department of companies. We see small business owners, entrepreneurs, hobbyists, bloggers, anybody that wants uh, to just learn a little bit more. And then, you know, they could go on to being a nerd if they wanted to, or they could just take those skills and apply them in their job. As you heard, guys, Camp Tech offers workshops in Toronto, Ottawa, Kitchener-Waterloo, and Vancouver. They start at just $85. Go to camptech.ca for more info. Okay, while I am telling you what to do, might I suggest that you sign up for our new free weekly newsletter. It is called Not Sorry, and it is by a very clever writer, Vicky Machama. And what we're trying to do with this is create a little quick-to-read weekly digest that if you happen to miss something, something that happens on Commons, something that happens on one of the other podcasts, or one of our news stories, which, you know, we're finding that, like, we get a lot of traffic on those news stories, but almost all of it comes from social. So you've if you happen to be plugged into Facebook or Twitter when one of our news stories breaks, then you'll read it. And if you don't, you might miss it completely. Some of our news stories get picked up by the mainstream media. Others don't at all. You are not watching social media all day if you want to make sure that you don't miss anything we do and you have a chance every Friday at lunch to just read a very funny, quick overview of what Canada Land has been up to, plus some other stuff that Vicky puts in there, go to our website at canadalandshow.com right now and follow the instructions on the homepage to subscribe to Not Sorry. You won't be sorry. I follow you on Twitter. Yes. And I wanted to talk with you today because I always find you interesting on Twitter and not just the things you say, but the people you retweet. And it's one of those things I like about Twitter. It's like I'm kind of getting access to a whole other conversation, a whole other discourse, a whole other bunch of terminology and issues that I don't otherwise really have much access to. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that I approach Twitter like an editor. 
a lot of times, some of the things I retweet are not things that I personally agree with, but it's to stimulate discussion, to stimulate discourse, um, empowerment, because we also have to remember there's so many people on Twitter who are watching but are not participating. That's how I approach it. It's like a blend of activism. I'm not promoting anything. I'm not even promoting myself, which is what I say to a lot of people who are like, hire September. I'm like, but it's not about hiring September. It's about a larger community thing, hiring more diverse people. You talk about race in Canada and in Canadian media a lot. Yes. There are different opinions. Your take on it is different than what I'm getting elsewhere. So I want to talk with you about that. Okay. Being unaffiliated, freelancing, unemployed, I can do those things. Yeah. A lot of people who are affiliated cannot do that. So there are a lot of private conversations or off-the-record conversations from people who would like to but who can't. I also think that I exist in a kind of unique position drawing from all of these various experiences and relationships. So there's also kind of the academic circle that I wouldn't say that I revolve in but that I'm connected with. My boyfriend has a master's degree in sociology and equity studies and education. Uh, his friend is a criminology professor. His other friend was the founder of the um, Caribbean Studies program at York University. So I circulate in that one circle and gaining so much knowledge and information from that while also being a journalist and gaining those information while also being a black woman yeah. and those kind of experiences. And it's that's why I say cultural analyst, public education, um, intellectual, because I'm blending all of those experiences to provide this kind of perspective. Why is it something that other people who maybe have more of a like regular job in the media might be uh, hesitant to say the things you say. Why are people afraid to discuss the things that you are comfortable discussing? Well, because it's a white boys club. And so even when, as in my personal experience, nobody wants to be labeled not a good cultural fit, um, especially the way that the journalism industry and all of these various industries functioned. Nobody wants to be blacklisted. Nobody wants to be locked out. So for me, it's knowing that I may not be able to engage in my passion the way that I have dreamed to do. And I've made that sacrifice sacrifice, and I continually pay the price. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is that strong. And I understand that. I don't. It's not like I'm saying I support that, but I understand that. Yeah. Like nobody wants to be living with their kid in one bedroom apartment in Parkdale. You know what I mean? Right. We need to understand that not everybody is even at racism, anti-oppression, anti-blackness 101. A lot of people are still at the orientation stage. They're not there yet. So a lot of people cannot have the conversations because they don't yet have the language. They don't yet have the understanding. Yeah. It's hard to articulate feelings into words. And that's where I feel like this. I'm merely a person bridging these gaps. I don't feel like I am the dude or that girl. I feel like I'm a person bridging that and vocalizing what other people can't vocalize or can, you know, whether they physically cannot say it or they intellectually cannot say it or due to work constraints and capitalism. The way that you come at it, like when you talk about the old boys club, people are comfortable understanding that when you look at these very old institutions where everybody is old and white and a boy, but you talk about how that culture manifests, like the, the Twitter conversation, the social media conversation is much more inclusive. I think there's more value placed on diversity of voices. And yet you can be like a, a contrarian voice in that saying, this is still influenced by that culture yes. and we're just reproducing that conversation yeah. here. How does that get replicated into these new forms? The Old Boys Club is not merely a club of old white boys. We also need to understand whiteness as a concept and not merely a thing. So it's like when talking about the issue of shadism. Yes, people are going to want people, in terms of the way that racism plays out, people are going to want people who look like them. So it's easier to get somebody who looks like me, who will act like me, you know what I mean, who walks like a duck, talks like a duck. And it's easily to mistake for a duck. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's more easy to receive. So, yeah, I'd rather somebody with a letter. Even when we talk about the model minority myth, we sometimes talk about model minorities in such a pejorative way with you got Rob Ford. Chinese people work like dogs or we talk about, oh, but Indian people have done so well in Canada. What's wrong with black people? But that's the kind of idea of the model minority. Good minorities, bad minorities, good ethnicities, bad ethnicities. Exactly. And we'd rather have the good, these stereotypes still play out or we'd rather have these good ones into these spaces. Yeah. Like the United States, the discourse around race is like it's very much framed by there's one, I think almost, uh, I wouldn't want to say universally, but there's an accepted uh, sin in America's past. It lives with them in large numbers. Like like the, the they're, they're living with a racial dynamic that is the inheritance of like something that is so central to that country's history that everybody has to deal with race. doesn't mean it's anywhere yes. near dealt with. Yeah. But – I think that they've at least gotten to the point where they understand like, yeah, this is a thing that yes. we got. And I feel like I grew up with this um, 
Canadian, Canadian multicultural utopian myth. I was in a pretty uniquely multicultural school. Uh, I was having, in a way, the perfect thing that they tell you, like the multicultural Trudeau inspired, like this is Canada, like we don't have the problems they have, we are much more inclusive, We, we it works here. But then you look at the numbers, and then you look at the graduation numbers, and you look at the suspension numbers, and you look at the uh, students with special education plans. When you peel back these layers, you get to see these things. Even in the teaching of Canadian history, when we talk about pre-Confederation, we don't ever mention slavery or the fact that slavery existed here and the fact that slavery didn't take off here like in the United United States, not because we're good people, but because we didn't have an agricultural economy or the climate to support um, slavery, which is why you also see it really popular in the American South, but not so popular in the American North. It was just chance and circumstance why we didn't have those things here. But so many people don't even know about this. And even there was a statistic that they were talking about... um, Toronto schools, where I think it's a 70% POC population. 70% people of color. Yes, which uh, I think it was a 30% um, population of people of color teachers. So you're seeing white teachers teaching black students in a predominantly white institution. And to break down a predominantly white institution, it's like there's various aspects of government that they are white institutions um, that reinforce systemic racism, reinforce racism, anti-blackness, like the police. It doesn't matter that we have a black police chief. Policing in Canada is a white institution. It functions to support white supremacy. The whole point of the creation of our police was to protect us from them. So protect white people with cash from everybody else who doesn't have cash. That is a radical statement to some people that they would just immediately reject. And it, and it like places you outside of a certain discourse. I understand things through stories. I don't know. I'm simple that way. And you made me think about something. I, as I was extolling this wonderful public school experience I had, uh, I, I have to remember a friend of mine who uh, lived like it was for this brief moment this idyllic Canadian thing where I lived in a upscale affluent neighborhood. At the end of the street was uh, government housing. And one of my schoolmates was a kid who had just come from Jamaica. He was meeting his mom for the first time since he was a baby. Uh, and I don't know, like somehow he ended up in my my like circle of friends and we would all go to school together. He spoke a thick patois. We thought he was like an interesting, like funny guy. And there were other Jamaican kids who kind of were like translating the patois and like like the Jewish kids (laughs) in the group were like trying to learn the patois. It was just like, it was interesting. And we all hung out. And then as the years went on and we got into high school, they streamed us. And some of us ended up in drama programs or arts programs or enriched gifted programs. They didn't call it gifted. They called it enriched. And then others ended up in the like trade oriented where, where, and it was amazing at at the time, if you got into that trade oriented, uh, basic, I think they called it or something. Yes. Basic or general. General. Yeah. You're not going to university. No. Yes. And that still happens today. It yeah. was determined when he was 14 that yes. he's not going to university. Yes. And I remember, like, he was not doing well in school. He basically spoke a different language. Yeah. And then we were in this uh, drafting class, and he just was, like, a prodigy. It turned out his dad was an architect. Yeah. He was incredibly mathematically and, and inclined and trained in engineering, but he was just completely fell through the cracks because yes. he didn't speak the language and nobody yeah. put him in ESL or anything like that. Well, nobody even decided to put in the effort to, hey, I'm going to do something with that kid. But you see it so many, even in terms of my son, my son is eight years old and my son does very well in math and science. He generally does well in everything, but math and science are the two things he's really good at. And it was so interesting. I bumped into his teacher and she said, you know what? Kaya should really think of becoming a voiceover actor. You know what I mean? He's really good at voice and is really funny. Uh So you look at a kid who's good at math and science and your thing is he should entertain me. Yeah. Why would we put this on him? Where if he was Chinese, they would have pushed him in math because of the stereotype of Chinese people being good at math. You know what I mean? We do get racialized. In ways that we don't even notice, and we do have our um, aspirations or our trajectories cut short just by virtue of what we look like, not by virtue of our ability. This is what I think happens in the conversation a lot. We can define these systems, and I think that, like, reasonably, you've got to come to a conclusion that that's a racist system. If it's going to push that kid, if if it's just not set up to figure out a path for him or even, like, recognize what he has to offer— And yet we can also maybe simultaneously recognize that, like, no one is making conscious on an individual level, I don't know, evil, racist, like, the the, the people are not out to get. And and we have to get over that because I think that when you have – when you start to talk about racism, people – like, everyone – it's such a – dirty word to be called a racist yes. and everyone's terrified of getting on the wrong end of that. And I think that the response on people is they just don't want to talk to you. But that's another thing like 
even when I'm talking, when I'm in the mood, um, when I'm talking about racism, when I'm talking about oppression and privilege, I like to talk about the ways in which I've messed up. So I was talking about a story where I was talking about European standards of beauty. And I use an um, Laverne Cox is an instant. Laverne Cox, who is the transgendered actress in Orange is the New Black. Right. And so I was talking about her and this other um, cultural analyst, Bell Hooks, and how Bell Hooks was talking about Laverne Cox's blonde hair, um, fair skin, and the image of womanhood that she quote unquote created. I used her as an example and somebody was like, actually, you as a cis woman have absolutely no right to police the bodies and gender expression of a trans woman. You know what I mean? I'm no, not a bad person. No, I'm not a transphobe. I, I think that this is such an important moment to stop yeah. because, like, it, we are breaking off into words that are very familiar yes. for people who are part of this conversation. And not, like, yes. Policing means something very different in this context. Yes. Cis is a term that a lot of people are not familiar with. Yeah, you, and you, that's you, where you things take get so. Exactly. So cis and trans, cis are people who were born and labeled a particular gender and live their life as a particular gender. So I was born... They labeled me a girl at birth, and I live my life as a girl or a woman. Yeah, that works for you. You self-identify yeah, that exactly. way. Exactly. Okay. But for Laverne Cox, Laverne Cox was born and identified as a boy and lives her life as a woman. Um, so that's the difference between cis and trans. Uh-huh. Yes. Where transsexual is just a longer version. Of course, we have words that we used to l- use where we now realize that they're actually yeah. slurs. Everybody kind of understands. Well, you say transvestite. Yeah. Now people say transsexual. Yeah. Cis is still, I think, a much more, it's, a less widely known term because yes. you can have transsexual, but to put a word on the other thing. But there's always a problem with putting the word on the thing that is the norm. Yeah. And even with me, when I talk, I move away from the word norm or normal to common just so that I'm not setting something up as a default. And it's the same thing when I talk about women and feminism. When people usually say woman, they're usually talking about white women. So I'm like, you really need to clarify who you're speaking about. As with Trudeau's 50-50 gender parody, I'm like, that's all great and fine and dandy, just like when women got the vote. But... Black women still get left out in the cold. So if you're going to talk about gender, you're going to have to be really specific for me to make sure that I'm included from that con- in that conversation because usually I'm not. Yeah. I have a reflexive response to anyone telling me that I can't talk about something. Like I feel like we should be able to talk about anything. So when you say that you were trying to talk about Laverne Cox basically recreating a very Hollywood image of blondness, of a very – she looks like a sexy woman. Yes. In a way that is very culturally determined as a sexy woman. Yes. So that sounds like a really interesting thing to talk about. But then you get accused of policing someone's – so how is that policing? How is talking about it policing it? In terms of the grand scheme, I am somebody who has a privilege over Laverne. I'm cis. I was born a woman and I live my life as a woman. I don't have the experiences that she has. Furthermore, her challenges with living in her womanhood are different than mine. A friend brought it up. She's like, well, we talk about Laverne Cox's weave, but did you know that the medication that trans women take thins out their hair? So she would have to fill out her hair. I'll break it down. We're always supposed to be punching up, not to be punching down. Me talking about Laverne Cox is me punching down at somebody beneath me, whereas I should always be thinking about the people above me on that hierarchy. But why is it punching at all if you're just discussing yeah. it? I, I mean, I guess if you're speaking yeah. critically, I mean, to talk about somebody's appearance and, and how it adheres to cultural norms or not is to kind of like analyze them the way that I was like in university and cultural studies, yes. anything is a text. But then womanhood comes into the discourse and that's yeah. because it becomes challenging a trans person's womanhood and the reality. And it wasn't the things that I was saying. It's It was a Facebook discussion that other people started getting very transphobic. And that's where the problem. Right. That's where, you know what I mean? I was the one who curated a discussion that became hateful. That was like, yeah. But you were hateful and, be, and you wouldn't have even, yeah. even known. I mean, you learned something yeah. in that conversation, right? Because yeah. you're, you're looking at her hair as if it's a cultural choice that has to yeah. do with this context of beauty and whatnot. Yeah. And somebody's saying, actually, there's just sort of like a practical reason. Yeah. Why but it was also me judging her hair. And it was like, yeah. but that's the thing is the value of that conversation for me. I took it as a teachable moment. I was like, you messed up. You don't, you know what I mean? I was talking about a thing that I didn't understand and applying cis norms. So I was just like, yeah, if a woman's wearing a weave, she's wearing a weave because she wants blonde hair and she wants to look like a white girl. Where it was like, no, actually, she's wearing a weave because of all of these other, you know what I mean? I was entering yeah. in a discussion that I had no business being in, a discussion that I didn't understand. It was not only entering in it, I was creating this discussion. It's kind of like you talking about what life is like as a black woman. That's probably a no-go area. <laughs> Furthermore, we had a discussion where Desmond Cole was talking about, and he apologized yeah. and said, you know what? 
what? I had no business speaking on that thing. Let people speak for themselves. Yeah. I think that, I mean, if I only spoke about things that I had any business speaking about, I'd be out of business pretty quickly. Well, not business, but you know what I mean? Where you're speaking for, and furthermore, let people speak for, in many cases, I'm, I'll say, no, I can't talk about this. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and talk about sexuality. I'm heterosexual. If you want to ask me about that, you know what I mean? I've well, got you a talk logic. about heterosexuality. You talk about your yeah. sexuality. Exactly. But yeah. I could, for me to sit here and talk about other sexualities and try to narrate their personal experience, or even I was in this discussion, it was about parenthood. And it was this woman who has no children. And she started talking about her friend who has kids. And it's like, but two women are sitting in this room who have children. And you decide that you with no children are going to tell us, tell people what it's like to have kids. So it's not about, t- you're not allowed to talk about it. It's about what are the yeah. power dynamics around around yes. who who launches the conversation, who frames the conversation, who curates the conversation, who dictates which conversation. But also your goals in that conversation. Like another friend was like, I didn't enter the conversation because I realized I was entering in it to go in, you know what I mean, white splain. I was entering into the discussion to explain your experience to you. And then she's like, and then I realized, what are my goals? Are my goal? I realized I was trying to dominate a discussion and I was better served standing on the outside and overhearing, which is the beauty of Twitter, where I can watch Sophie, I can watch Sophia Banks have a discussion about her experience as a trans woman. And I gain so much and learn so much. Even autistic people, you know what I mean, neurodivergency, people with various autisms and things like that. I learned so much by not saying anything at all. I could talk. Like you said, I'm a prolific tweeter. I don't know how many times I've... I know I passed the 100,000 mark and I figured I'm just going (laughs) to not even pay attention to how much I actually talk. With that same thing, I also do a lot of listening. I'm enjoying this very much. And I got to tell you that the dynamics of this, being thoughtful about how we talk about things is met with so much resistance, so much resistance. But it's understandable. It's by it's you know what I mean? It's the way that we've been socialized and the way that psychology works. It's completely understandable to feel attacked when tell when somebody tells you not to do something completely understandable. Not that it's okay, but it's understandable to feel like when I first learned the term cis, I was like, I'm not using it. I'm a poor black woman with mental health issues. I have enough damn labels. I'm not taking this one. And then a friend sent me a long email. Like I said, once again, getting called out. And a friend sent me a long email. And she's like, it's not about you, though. That's a thing that you don't understand. It's about somebody with less privilege than you. Somebody who gets affected by the system. Somebody who gets erased. All of these various things. And it took me days. And I, But one of the things that I did do that I recommend people do is when you get called out, shut it down. Don't continue engaging that conversation. Go over and check and think and ask, did I actually screw up? And that's the thing is, I stopped talking about the cis label and identity and I sat with it for a while. And then I was like, you know what? I kind of guess she was right. I didn't come to it being like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to stop. I did not come to it. I was like, I guess she may be right. That moment, right? Where yeah. you realize you've been, you've been kind of like barreling through like, no, I have a position. Yeah. I'm arguing. I'm arguing. I'm arguing. Like, Oh, wait a second. I've been wrong from the start. Uh, Can I have a minute? But that took days. And then you have to come out. And then, you know what I mean? There's where you come out and be like, you know what? I'm sorry. Because you also have to remember is we have to remember the people. And it's so hard, easy to forget that when you're dealing in an online sphere. These people that you are, these avatars and Twitter handles that you're dealing with, they are actual people. When you're speaking about that, you're hurting people. It was like my son, he watches Minecraft videos. He's like, that's so gay. And I was like, you know... You know what I mean? You know your aunt and her friend? They're gay. Do you want to hurt? You know, I'm like, do you want to hurt their feelings? He's like, no. I'm like, they're gay. So when you say that, they hurt your feelings. Yeah. And then he was like, you know what I mean? He had a pause because you're just saying a thing you're not thinking about. There are actual real people whose feelings you hurt, who and not only feelings that you hurt, who make less than you, who have less rights than you, who can't find jobs as easily as you, who can't get access to medical care as easy as you, yeah. who even have trouble getting a driver's license because, oh, but no, this is supposed to be an F, not an M. We have to think about those okay, things. Okay, so let's work with that analogy, right? And yeah. I'm sure your son like rolled his eyes and like, mom, I'm just watching a video yeah. on YouTube. I don't yeah. want your bumming me out yes. and I'm not insulting all those people that are but, not here yeah. and your son I think is Canada in this yes. analogy but you know what he took it yeah. he said well actually after that he said he was there and he was thinking he's like mom am I gay too and I'm like he didn't even really un- he didn't even yeah. understand what gay meant but generally there is a lot of eye rolling like he um was in the bathroom 
talking to his dad and he's like, girls have it so much easier than boys. So I had to be like, right. let me pull you up. And I don't think he got it, but I think it was valuable for me to at least say something to challenge that narrative rather than letting it run free. So let me bring this back to what I wanted to speak with you about from the beginning, which is where this all fits within Canadian media. Yes. And it's something that I have to look at uh, myself in the mirror about as well. When you take all these dynamics in, the whole narrative of those responses of first feeling like, oh, just why are you not letting me just express myself the way, or why are you telling me what I can and can't talk about? And why are you jumping to all these conclusions? I'm just trying to express myself and that's my right to do so. And then being like, oh shit, I've horribly offended people. And I've, I've horribly offended people who might not even have it easy and don't deserve that. And then, oh wait, what if people think I'm an awful person? like for even going there and getting it wrong and like there's very few things that are worse to be in this society than a racist or a sec- like people like that's people are terrified of being uh, ostracized on that basis and the conclusion that most people arrive at facing all of that bag of badness is let's just not talk about it and I had a resistance to even like, like reading your tweets being like I wonder what she means by that I wonder what she means by that maybe I should ask her on the show and then I'm, and then I'm thinking you know what I've never had her on the show to talk about anything else. And the first thing I'm going to ask September onto my show to talk about is about being a black woman. Like maybe I'm going to be like offside in that respect. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And and the easiest thing is just to not. But you know what? This is a thing. And I was speaking with another friend. We really just need to realize that there is no right answers and that we are going to be wrong. I'm wrong. You know what I mean? So many people are wrong. Even when you think about Carrie Washington, she just apologized the other day because she was saying, oh, so-and-so is my spirit animal. And people had to be like, this is actually Native, you know what I mean, Native people's beliefs, so maybe you need to pull back. John Legend just appeared... Uh, apologize his wife dressed up like an Indian woman and he dressed up like a cowboy for Halloween a few Halloweens ago and somebody showed him the picture he's like you know what that was a long ago we've learned our lesson and we're very sorry for doing that I think we need to be not comfortable but okay with being wrong we are going to be wrong we're gonna have this discussion and it's not going to be right however it's better to have that discussion than to not have the discussion it takes bravery and it takes a willingness to be wrong, but then to learn and get back up. And I think, and like you said, when people think of racists, they think of Hitler, the KKK, cross burnings, church burnings, police officers killing unarmed black men, women, and children. There are so many different kinds of racists. And I tell people, listen, I'm a homophobe and I'm a transphobe and I'm fat phobic and all of these things. Not because I'm a virulent, horrible bigot, but because I was raised in a society that is like that. I'm working on changing that. I may never get that, but I'm diligently working on being a better person. I think that there's still such resistance because I can accept all of those ideas and I can say, you know, I, of course I carry with me all sorts of racist ideas. But if I were to actually say the words, I am a you know, then anybody would be within their rights and like self-admitted racist. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there because it it is still a a pretty serious charge in this society. Maybe maybe it should be, but maybe we need to get over that. The fear of actually discussing this has led to a really skewed media environment where we kind of like twist ourselves into pretzels in order to have some kind of like – make a show of diversity and inclusion. And yet, like, for all of the very carefully curated hosts that are picked on the public broadcaster and elsewhere, I listen to the radio and it sounds nothing like walking around Toronto. Yes. I don't hear accents, right? Yes. Or I I look at the – and this is something that, like – the, the like danger, danger, don't go there. It's not something necessarily for me to talk about, yeah. but it's something you've spoken about on on Twitter recently. Uh, you said, let's be critical of which people of color get chosen by the mainstream to speak for people of color. Can we talk about that a little bit? Well, it's this idea, once again, a lot of people want, like when the media is hiring, they're looking for people who are a good cultural fit. That is a problem. The culture that the pre-existing culture at your company is the problem. So you need to pick up people, pick people who are not a good cultural fit. So a lot of the hiring is picking people who make me feel good and don't make me feel like a racist. That's a problem. You need people around you who are going to make you feel uncomfortable. You need the people around you who are going to challenge your point of view. You need not only diversity in the way that people look, but diversity in thought. It's not merely it's not enough as Chief Saunders has proven it's not enough just to get a black guy um, or as we Ben didn't even Carson. tell everybody because a lot of people aren't listening in Toronto, yeah. but that's our chief of police. Okay. Yes, our chief. Of, we have a black chief, chief of police. 
who supports carding, which is um, racialized Didn't racial they profiling. throw that guy under the bus like within two days? And he, he should have known it. And so everybody, everybody known out it. there, tell everybody how it happened. Like they yeah. set him up. I couldn't believe it. This yeah. is a digression, but let's do it. Yeah. Could yeah. you run through this quickly? They basically picked him up to be the fall boy for racial profiling. Um, so we have a, we're going to a black guy who's going to be the yes. chief of police who supports our position, which is pro-carding. And, 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 and yeah. if you haven't been following this debate, this is basically show me your papers. This is yes. like what we've just stopped doing, supposedly, in, in, in Toronto, which is just randomly, without any cause, stopping people, usually black people. Well, a disproportionate amount, because according to the statistics, each black man in the city of Toronto has been stopped three times, according to how many black people have been stopped, yeah. regardless of their representation across all neighborhoods. So if you have a predominantly white neighborhood, it's predominantly black people being stopped. In the white neighborhood, yeah. In the white neighborhood. Right. So what are you doing here? Show me your papers. I mean, exactly. it, it's, it's just back. So w- when we were still in favor of that here and when the cops were still uh, in support of carding, they're like, oh, here's what we're going to do. We, we'll, we have a black yep. chief of police. And then within days, they reversed themselves on carding. And exactly. so then he's left. But he's left holding the bag. He's left holding his script, wondering, are they going to give me a new script? Hey, I played along. What's yeah. going on, I did guys? what you guys told me to do. And yeah. now I'm standing here and I look like the jerk. Thanks. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you. Please Yeah, no problem. That. But that was... But we see that getting, we see POC, or sorry, we see people of color, racialized people being used for those purposes to justify nefarious behaviors where, well, I can't possibly be a bad person. I have a black friend. I can't possibly be racist. Look, we've got this Chinese woman working for us. Uh We get a lot of that. But these people are not diverse in thought. And so they don't represent diversity. They just represent white people, represent whiteness. You've said things that are really concerning about, well, I guess I'll never get hired by the Canadian media. Yeah. And, and not in that kind of jokey way that like sometimes I'll say it like you're like, yeah. I am sacrificing the possibility of a career in this field for, yes. the, for, for the things that I'm saying. Yes. Do you believe that that's true? I completely believe it. I can't even get a job interview, let alone, you know what I mean, be even considered for a job. I don't get, I've been on two media job interviews in the six years post um, college. I went to, I did a postgrad at uh, Humber College in journalism. I've been on two. One was for Zoomer, not Zoomer, and the other one was for, remember you wrote about it, it was for, was it canoe.ca? Uh, I think it was. Canada.com? Affiliated with Sun and. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Those are my two in my entire when you think of all of the publications that I've applied, no, I lied at three because I went to House and Home as well. So if you talk about the breadth, because usually I'm a uh, fashion, beauty, lifestyle writer, yeah, not social justice. This is actually part of my activism, not part of my career aspirations. Um, but yeah, I will not. There's no way I'm not a good cultural fit. Are you I the can, wrong kind of woman of color? Yes, I'm definitely the wrong kind of woman of color. What makes you the wrong kind of woman of color? Because I'm pro-black. I'm pro-black. I will challenge whiteness. I'm dark skin, kinky hair, as you can see, wearing my Afro puff. I'm the wrong kind of black person, which is so funny because when I, in my less evolved days, I thought I was the perfect black person. You know what I mean? I um, Well, you're breaking rules all over the place. Like, well, originally, but I had gone to uni- college and university, yeah. done exceptionally well, honor roll, gifted, never failed anything in my entire life, squeaky clean, no interactions with the police. All of these things made me think, and even in my relationship, I am in the relationship still with the father of my eight-year-old child. Statistically, I'm the right kind of black person. However, I mean, on paper, I should be the right kind of black person. But then when I speak, I'm not the right kind of black person. No, because you're here on a public forum saying things like, uh, I I have a a, a mental health problem, right? Yes. Which everyone knows someone if they don't have one themselves. We understand that that's just a common thing as any other kind of illness. Theoretically, only when it's Bell Let's Talk Day, though. Right, when it's Bell Let's Talk. But if it's I have a mental health problem is equals don't hire me, right? That's still not something you're supposed to say. Exactly. So many of those things make it challenging, makes me unemployable. But at the same time, when I think of it, When I think of employment, I'm thinking of me as an individual. When I think about talking about mental health and racism, I'm thinking of a wider community thing. And so it's like, are you going to sacrifice a wider community for your own personal comfort? And that's a thing that I don't think that I can do. So what is the right kind of black person for the Canadian media or the right kind of person of color? Who? who, Well, preferably the right kind of black person is racially ambiguous or biracial. That's the first thing. A lot of the women in media that you get to see, they all have straight hair. Um, With the exception, Namagini has curly hair. And there was another woman, I believe, 
I can't remember, but she was actually fired from her job because she refused to um, straighten her hair. There's an article about it. Um, when did that happen? Not too long ago. She speaks about it. It was maybe a year or two ago. I was just preparing for this interview and I was like, I wonder, are there any black women on television doing the news or current affairs? Yeah, or? there's Nika Elliott. Uh-huh. And there's one other woman whose name escapes, escapes me. And then, of course, we'll have a lot of fairer-skinned black women or, like I said, racially ambiguous. That's a really big thing where you can't really tell what race that person is. People really like that. And then there's also a lot of people who are white passing who appear whiter. Maybe their grandfather had a transgression back in the day, but we've pretty much fixed that. You get a lot of people like that. That's the representation. It's like a paper bag test. I'm going to hold the paper bag up to your face. And if you're darker than this paper bag, you're out. Talking about like level of blackness is like yeah. so uncomfortable. A certain for... kind of blackness. Yeah. What you're saying is just uh... – it's just true that, that the media obviously favors that. It's almost like a yeah. fetish. Well, uh, look at the CNN anchor type is like, wow, I don't even know what that person is. And, you know, uh, uh, multiracial people tend to be very beautiful too. Yes. And, and so yeah. you have this person and then, and then they don't fit into any kind of, I don't have to think about them the way that I think like, I, you know, whatever preconceptions I have about a Jamaican accent or a person who speaks like with a, you know, an American black dialect. And it's like, no, there's just this kind of other interesting, sexy yes. news person thing. Exactly. Which is funny. When I had straight here, I call it, used to call it my news report. News rep- Porter flow right. because it used to flow like a white girl's hair flows <laughs> and it was straight, you know, a side part um, before I decided that that wasn't really me, which is not knocking people who do that. And it's also so funny that a lot of these black dark skin news anchors actually do have natural hair. They just straighten it for work because that's what's expected of them. So there's so many ways in which we are forced to present this certain kind of blackness. So this is very true, what we're talking yeah. about. It's, I mean, yeah. it's demonstrably true. It's yes. objectively if true. If we even get hired, yeah. we have to be that. So the conversation is kind of happening in the black community and it kind of happens in the Indian community and kind of happens in the um, East Asian community. All of these communities that have high usage of skin bleaching. So we have a lot of people who are bleaching their skin to appear lighter. These discussions are happening somewhere, but not in the mainstream. So when I talk about shadism or colorism, it's a term that people are so new to. And I guess there's that feeling of hearing something new and something that you don't know and attributing fright to it, which then shuts down the conversation. And so on Twitter, I try to make the conversation as accessible as I can. And I'm still working on using more accessible language. But there are people who push back. But at the same time, I know there are people who are listening. And so that's why I just... Well, you're very direct on Twitter. And it's not just about, uh, you know, I think that there's this uh, sense of like, why are we still hung up? You're so hung up on skin tone. Why are we talking about, like, we're supposed to be beyond skin tone. Yeah. Obviously, there's reasons why it's still relevant. Well, Toronto City Council has one woman of color as a city councillor. Um, Kristen Wong Tam won. Yeah. Um, even in I, there was an article where they were looking at seats of power and not representation of women, but representation of women of color. And you're getting bank boards with one woman of color and you're getting police board. I mean, um, hospital boards with zero women of color. All of these seats of power. We're not there. We're not sitting there as editors at newspapers, right. even the producers. A lot of the women of color producers that I know are leaving the journalism industry because they just can't take the racism. They just can't take it. You retweeted something, and you'll tell me if you agree with this or not. You retweeted Dalton Higgins saying, Canadian TV intentionally recruits docile, apolitical, racialized pundits who won't challenge the status quo. I completely wholeheartedly agree. And there was a discussion in which they were talking about um, Justin Trudeau's 50-50 cabinet and the host through this nugget, and sometimes you'll be on the radio or TV and you know that that one's for you, and ask, well, what about other kinds of diversity? And you have the two white people who actually said the word race but said it didn't really matter, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the woman of color who said, let's basically let's work on gender first and then think about all of those other things. So it's so rare for people of color to get into these spaces. Yeah. We're having a discussion about women of color and there's, I mean, women in cabinet, there's actually a woman of color on the panel. This is rare. But you're talking about a system and how they hire, but you get more personal than that. You do about the people themselves. You say some people of color's performance of whiteness is phenomenal. Yes. What do you mean about a person of color performing whiteness on TV or in the media? Well, it's kind of like the ways in which they uphold these systems of white supremacy. So it's like... A black person gets a job, but make sure not to hire any other black people. That's upholding whiteness. The term whiteness, it gets confusing if you don't know the lexicon, but whiteness 
doesn't mean white people. It means this idea of kind of white culture, um, white supremacy, anti-POC, xenophobia, and all of those other things. And so you do have these POC or people of color who do uphold these things. I know there's one person of color who said that she uses sunblock. She's very aggressive with her usage of sun protection because she doesn't want to get dark. And knowing that this is why she does it. Even when you look at some people of color in the media, they exclusively date white people, which is kind of frustrating that when they say, no, my type is white boys. That's what my type is, who will say that. So it's this kind of need to be white. I want to be the good person of color. I want to be that model minority. I want to be the one, I want to be the exceptional um, individual. You know, when these kinds of conversations happen and they can get, they, they, yeah. they are personal, they get very, yeah. and they're ha- happening publicly and you've got different people of color talking about, well, you're performing whiteness and you, you're dating a white person. And I think that like the mainstream white Canadian, like, let's back away slowly. We, we can only get hurt. But you know what? The good thing about that is to back away slowly, but back away slowly and listen. Back away slowly and listen. There is so much to learn. If there are two trans women, I've seen it before, two trans women having an argument on Twitter, I back away slowly. I will not tweet. I may not even tweet anything at all. I won't even tweet about the weather because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to create this space. I'm going to back up and let these two people talk it out. And so you have these discussions and you have all of these people on the outside jumping in to engage in a discussion that they have no understanding of. The other issue is in terms of being personal, I try to avoid making it personal. It's hard not to make it personal when you're talking about somebody's race and gender. Yeah. I try to talk about people's any personal things only as it applies to the topic. So I'm not trying to attack. I won't say so-and-so likes pumpkin spice latte. What a basic bitch. Sorry. I apologize for the swears. But you know what I mean? I'm not going to make it personal in that regard or so-and-so really likes empire, but I'm all about scandal. That's personal. But talking about somebody's social location, I don't feel like that's personal. Like talking about Justin Trudeau and talking about he's a white, rich, connected politician. I don't think that's a personal thing. It needs to be talked about, especially if we're talking about nepotism and political inheritance and all of those other things. I only bring it up when it's relevant. Other than that, I don't really care what you do. My partner isn't black, so you know what I mean? I'm not really judging people's dating preferences, love who you love and date who you date. I think, though, that when you say I only date white people or I make sure not to date black people, that's a problem. It's so interesting how the perspective flips when you put yourself into it. Right now, we're having this whole thing about representation in parliament and cabinet. And already that same kind of eye rolling of like, oh, it's 50 percent women. What else do you want? Is the ideal for us to have a complete representation, representative breakdown uh, based on a percentage? If there's this many uh, Sikhs in Canada, then we have to have this many MPs. Like, come on, that's not how we do it. Get off our back. And then I hear that. I hear that conversation happening. But then I put myself in it. I'm thinking like like what you were saying earlier about uh, institutions that have one Asian woman on and that's their person of color and then you as a black woman are supposed to feel represented by that going back in time to when I as a Jew would not be considered white yes uh, and had no representation in government would I feel that like an Italian guy or a Greek yeah. guy had my back like would I feel that had anything to do with me but that's also, and it's also an issue of knowledge different groups of people bring different knowledge so if you have in a parliament or if you have you know what I mean this highest seat of power the executive branch of this government that's not and not only racially diverse it's not gender diverse there's nobody who's trans there I haven't heard if anybody's um, gay lesbian or queer but when you see this it's incomplete knowledge the other issue with this quota The quota is not the end goal. The end goal is to do away with misogyny and do away with racism and do away with ableism. That's the goal. The quota is to make to keep us accountable and make sure we get towards that goal. But no, I don't feel if I'm if a recognition that it's that everything's fucked. Right. The the quota is like, well, you need like maybe in a perfect world you wouldn't need that. But it's so heavily imperfect. Yes, that we do need it to make sure. But it's holding people accountable. Um, It's like with the abolition of carding. But there are no consequences for actually carding people. So, you know what I mean? We're not actually keeping track of whether you do. It's like working on the honor system. And I'm not really comfortable with working on an honor system and just hoping and thinking. 
with cops, with politicians. Yeah. And so also as a, not as a somebody living in Canada, it's my job to hold these people accountable. That's all I'm doing. I'm holding accountable. Even when you think of media, our job is to tell the stories. We have, you know what I mean? We have our whole journalistic t- integrity and our responsibility to people living in Canada, our responsibility to the readers, to the listeners, to present as much of the truth as we can get at. If everybody who's doing it is white, you're not getting, I don't know what kind of truth that you're getting at. Um, It's just like my discussion about Laverne Cox. I didn't know that about the whole hair loss thing that the hormones cause. So if I'm writing a story about her without that knowledge, I'm not getting to the true story. A trans person would be better suited to talk about that thing. There was an article about black women um, in light of what happened in the States with a student who was brutalized by the police officer in the classroom. And it was a white man writing that article. And a white woman sent me the link and she's like, is it just me or should it have been a black woman to write this? Why wouldn't the editor assign a black woman or were there none at the Toronto Star? You know what I find really interesting about your perspective is that you're almost making the same argument with a bit of a different perspective as those who complain about tokenism. Like, why are we just going to hire people on the basis of, of the fact that they're a woman or the basis of the fact that they're a person of color? Like, that's just tokenism. It seems to me, yeah. if I've got you right, you're saying, yeah, that is just tokenism. Uh, yeah. So if the idea is you'll hire me uh, if I come in and can be a person of color and not make any problems, I won't be a token. I'm here to make problems. Yes. And that's the other thing is, if I had a choice, I would take representation over nothing. With that being said, I think the Canadian media has gone on too long without with representation without any substance that it's time for us to push past that. We're not at we're not in the 1960s where just merely having a token is like Justin Trudeau said, this is 2015. I'm sorry, we need valid representation. We need diverse representation of thought. We're not we're no longer in the 60s or 70s when we first had this wave of black and brown people we're no longer there with the Harold Husseins who I really like he's from my uh, mom's country but you know what I mean with the Harold Husseins and the I believe it was Monica Deal and that kind of diversity we need diversity of thought now all right taking me back Way back. <laughs> Electric circus way back. <laughs> well, we need to grow up. I mean, I think that there's yeah. stuff that has been happening for decades now in the States and other countries. Uh, we've been babies around yes. this year. The United States had a black president. Yeah. If the United States could have a black president, it is possible for anybody to have that diversity. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Go there right now to sign up for Not Sorry, our free weekly newsletter. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. And the next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.